Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 37 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that goes a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of the magazine, and my guest today is golf course architect Bo Welling of Bo Welling Design. We are incredibly committed here at Golf Course Industry Magazine to telling short course stories. We are, in fact, three full years into a series in the magazine of just that name. Short stories about short courses that are nine holes, 10 holes, 12 holes, occasionally 18 holes, but are, all of them, shorter than championship length. And there are few golf course architects working today, if there are any at all, who are as committed to and involved with short courses as Bo Welling. Bo has designed the 12-hole saddle at Glen Cove by Old Edwards in Cashers, North Carolina. He has designed the 10-hole Little Sandy at Amelia Island in far north Florida. And he has a pair of projects that will likely finish next year, the 10-hole Swing at PGA Frisco, which he designed with Gil Hance, and the 9-hole Tuhay Short Course out in Park City, Utah. We will talk about all four of those courses in this episode, along with the modern rise of the short course. This is a very fun conversation. I had a blast talking with Bo, and I hope to talk with him even more about short courses in the future. Before any of that, though, a quick word from CPRO, the longtime proud sponsor of Beyond the Page. Turf plant growth regulators are a critical tool in keeping every course in top-notch condition. They not only help to reduce clippings on warm and cool season grasses throughout the season, but they also help to manage and enhance poa annua, enhancing the overall turf quality and conditions of the course. CPRO provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass and Legacy and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions. Their full lineup of products works hard to ensure that your course is consistently looking its best. Visit them online at cpro.com to learn more. Bo Welling, after the break. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Matt. Uh, great, great to be on and uh, great to be with you. Thank you so much. We started spotlighting short courses with our bi-monthly short course stories in the magazine back in January 2020. We've had 18 of them now, and every one of them has been a joy. I've only gotten to visit a few of them. I wish I could visit them all. And we love short courses for a lot of reasons. You have so many short courses that have either just opened or are about to open. What is the appeal of the short course for you, Bo? I just love them. Um, and I, I sort of reflect on why is that. And I, I think the conclusion I've come to is that it really sort of resonates on lots of different levels. So I think one is just time. Uh, I think in our fast-paced society that we live in, like having a, a golf experience that's not long in time sort of fits more and more. If you actually look at the, the data of the last 10, 15 years of 
recreational activities that have really grown in the United States. It's all things that are unstructured in time, so like hiking, biking, you know, these kinds of things that you can do for a little bit of time or a long time. You can do by, by, your, by yourself or with other people. And so I think and golf has been pretty structured in time. Like, you know, you and I agree to meet at 10-10 and go out and, and play 18 holes of golf. Uh, but short courses and practice facilities and new kind of practice facilities, exponential practice is all more unstructured in time. And so I think that resonates. And then I think there's something about the playability of it all in that if you really look at sort of strokes gained between a really good player and a not-so-good player, where the good player truly outperforms, the lesser player is really with long shots. And so the beauty of the short course is that it removes the shots that the higher handicapper really struggles with. And so everybody, regardless of, of handicap level or skill level, really feels like they have a chance when they stand in front of a, a, a short golf hole. And so I think there's something really great about that because it allows people of very diverse backgrounds to come together and be together and have these human moments on a short course. So whether that be a group of friends or a, you know, a family unit, it's just really good. And then I think on the design side, you know, I think we we feel comfortable weaving the, the design industry as a whole, feel comfortable doing things that are more avant-garde or bold or whatever the right adjective is, uh, you know, with greens and contouring that maybe you wouldn't find on a, on a bigger or longer course. And so I think that has a real appeal, you know, for the better player as well. And so, um, so at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, to me it's a lot about what golf really should be, which is like fun and recreation and this, this chance to be with other people in this sort of great, you know, environment. And, and I think by presenting golf that way, it's a more casual version of golf. And you sort of see, you know, beginners not feeling intimidated to go step onto a short course and, you see music and, you know, other things that, are, that help contribute to the ca- casual approach and, and sort of the activation of being outside with, with friends and family. You mentioned earlier this year in another interview that shorter is better in terms of pace of play. You said that you're probably the fastest golfer that anybody has ever seen. Just get your club, you're ready, and you swing it. You also said that mulligans are okay. And I agree with you 100%, but these these are both, I think, pretty much uh, 100% in line with everything you just said about enjoyment of the game. Don't take it too, too yeah. seriously. I, I think so. And I don't, you know, when I say these things, I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm not, uh, you know, have a, a empathy for the traditions of our game and, sure. and playing competitive golf in a certain way. I just think that the golf can be different at different times. And, and I think having you know, a version of golf that's more accessible to people, uh, kind of regardless of skill level, um, as well as regardless of experience level, I think that's positive for golf. I mean, I think we're going to see short courses being an entry point into golf for, for many, many people. And, you know, I think the ones we're designing will be very cognizant of that and really trying to, to design them such that the ball really can be played on the ground and, and greens can be approached with a rolling-type shot. And I think that's fun for a good player to kind of be able to play you know, a different style of golf. But where it becomes really important is for that beginner uh, or novice. And uh, you know, they can almost top the golf ball and go find it and top it again and, and, and have an experience. And so I think that's all very important in, in terms of, of, of this idea of, of presenting golf in a different way and helping to grow the game. What are some of the differences in how you approach designing and, and laying out holes on a short course compared to 6,500, 7,000, 7,200 yard courses? There's there's obviously a different approach, but you're thinking about different golfers. You're thinking about what one seventh, 
one-sixth of the yardage. Yeah, I mean, so the ones we've been doing, a couple of themes, I think the word short course means something different to, to different people. But for what it has meant to us so far is, is really pretty short. I mean, like a lot of holes that are in the, you know, 40 to 100 yards range. And so I think when we've done these, again, we've tried to do a lot of fairway height of cut so the ball can be played on the ground, you know, and some of them that being the only height of cut. We've tended not to put a whole lot of bunkers on them, you know, one, because a, a, a sand shot is something that's very difficult for a beginner or a higher handicapper, uh, but also just this idea of wanting to reduce the amount of clubs that one might need to go play a short course. You know, in terms of shaping greens and greens contours themselves, you know, being, the holes being so short, we, we tended to either have really small greens or maybe small to medium-sized greens with a little bit of more bold kind of contour. But all things that I think, you know, if you're having a longer presentation of golf where someone's going to start to hit, you know, mid-irons or longer into a green, like the greens contouring has to be very, very different. And so I think that's been fun. And, and again, for us, this play space of shortcut grass around greens is big contributory to making it fun for someone that might maybe can't hit a very precise target but still have the ability to sort of play and recover with the ball on the ground. From a maintenance perspective, what sort of conversations do you have with superintendents, directors of agronomy about how to maintain the par threes and the short courses compared to uh, other courses? I mean, to some degree, there's, there's similarities, but I think the thing that we're really stressing is really wanting to play the short courses very, very firm. And, and so that ball again can roll on the ground. And so, you know, a single height of cut or you know, large expanses of single height of cut is something that we think is important. Uh, we did a project for Omni uh, in Amelia Island in Florida called Little Sandy. And, and you know, Omni's got a great, you know, agronomist on their staff and, and Scott Abernathy and worked a lot with Scott to try to figure out from a maintenance standpoint of, you know, how do we maximize the maintenance dollars that are available you know, to be able to you know, present this very fast, firm golf experience. And so, so to some degree, to some of that, it means a simplification of, of how you grasp a golf course and, and, or short course and what you present. But I do think the maintenance of these things is very, very important. As soon as it becomes, to me, a lot of rough grass or a soft condition, then it's just simply hitting sandwiches every time, you know, to the middle of the green. And that, that starts to be not fun. So what we're trying to do is get people playing the ball more on the ground, really regardless of skill level. And so when you do that, now you got to use your brain and your creativity to imagine, you know, how the ball is going to react on the ground. And we're big believers that when you, you think your way around a golf course, that golf experience becomes substantially more interesting. It's probably one of the reasons why I personally really enjoyed Lynx golf because you're sort of constantly reading not just Green's contours, but the contours of the, of the whole site and what the wind's doing, et cetera. And so to, to the extent we can infuse a little bit of that sort of thinking on our short courses, I think that's a good thing. And before we get into a conversation about some of your recent projects, I'm curious, what is your history with short courses? Were there any particular tracks you played growing up when you were young? I know you started playing when you were about two years old, uh, whether when you were a small child or, or even when you got into the early part of your career. Yeah, I mean, I actually learned the game of golf on a par three golf course. Uh, I was very fortunate to grow up at the Greenville Country Club here in Greenville, South Carolina, and we were very fortunate in that we had uh, the Pines 9, as it used to be called, as well as uh, you know 18 holes of sort of an older, you know, more open and friendly golf course and then 18 holes of a 
top hundred, you know, more difficult level golf course. And so it was really a great place to learn the game because you sort of had this ladder system where, you know, us juniors and we were led, you know, very great PGA professional led program, but us juniors learned the game on the par three course. And it was sort of our, our domain. It was our, you know, we, it was our place in a lot of ways. And then you graduated up to the, you know, the, the more friendly 18 hole golf course and ultimately kind of graduated up to the, the top hundred golf course. So it's a really great environment in terms of learning the game. And, uh, you have great, incredible memories with being six years old and, and, you know, competing and playing with buddies and making friendships on this part three golf course. So I think it's always been something that I've had, you know, an appreciation for. I think this more recent phenomenon has been something that's, that's even different than what I would call part three golf in, in that, in that and then the holes are even shorter. And, you know, we're working real hard to a lot of them that we're doing are not nine holes of golf, but rather 10 holes or 12 holes. And that may seem like a silly numerology sort of thing, but I think nine sort of a golf number and, and we're very much trying to say this is something different. And, and I think having you know, a different number of holes is important in our minds to help reinforce that this is a more casual version of golf. And it's okay maybe to have music and it's okay maybe to be under lights and it's okay to have an umbrella chair and seating for the non-golfers of a group to, or of a family to go sit and watch while, while, while other members of the family are trying to play the short course. So, but there's no doubt that, that starting out learning the game on a par three golf course certainly contributes to my feelings towards this new short course phenomenon. Love the philosophy. And let's start with uh, 12-holer, which is the saddle at Glen Cove by Old Edwards. That's in Cashers, North Carolina. And if folks don't know where that is, the very almost the very western tip of North Carolina in the Highlands. That course only opened, what, about three years ago, Bo? Yeah, it's that. Um, I want to say that we just finished the second full season of it being open, so, yeah, maybe two and a half years ago. Um, so Old Edwards is an interesting place. Old Edwards Inn is in Highlands, North Carolina. It's a fabulous, incredible um, hotel right in this sort of urban mountain town. And Mr. Williams, the owner of, of that, uh, had purchased a golf club that he rebranded the Old Edwards Club, kind of closer to Cashers. And, you know, this is about 4,000 feet in elevation. And the club's a wonderful, nice place, um, but, you know, somewhat of an older membership. And so he had approached us several years ago about – wanting to add some adjacent property to the club and very much wanted to sort of change the vibe of the club as well as having some amenities that, you know, maybe would be more attractive to, to families and children and, and, and in many ways sort of grandchildren. And so we ultimately built this 12-hole course that's called the Saddle um, as well as to help with a sort of an amenity barn um, that has a lot of, you know, uh, programming, you know, arcade and bowling, and there's a great swimming situation and pickleball and, and other, other sort of amenities, but very much trying to be something sort of different than, than the, the sort of golf club next door. And it's just been fabulous. It's, uh, it's been amazing to see. I've got these, these great pictures of, you know, extended families playing the saddle, um, where one of my favorite pictures is there's a it was appears to be a, a, a grandmother and grandfather with um, their grandkids out, and I believe maybe the son is playing golf, or, or maybe maybe it's the son-in-law. And then the daughter that was pushing a stroller, um, um, you know, with the young grandchildren, and it's just this whole multi-generational family. 
all sort of orienting to this this experience in a different way, but just really, really great. And it's become super active, and it's been very interesting. There's, there's a lot of great golf in the Casters Highlands market, and you know, into tend to attract sort of named type people and, and, and you know professionals that come through and. It's amazing how many of them have reached out after having played the saddle and just said, Jesus, that's one of the funnest days I've ever had on the golf course. And so it's really, really cool. Specifically, the saddle, we've got sort of three sort of loops of, you know, sort of four holes, five holes, three holes, um, which was by design such that anyone that wanted to, you know, play a smaller quantity of quantity of golf could, could do that. So the first four holes are, are real short, you know, less than 100 yards. And then the next sort of several have a, get a little bit longer and, and uh, so there's some sort of meteor holes there than just sort of our normal, um, uh, sh- really short ones. But it's it's really great variety and great, great great spot and wonderful great views. The photos alone, I mean, it's a it's a gorgeous area of North Carolina and of the country. Uh, but the photos are just stunning. What you were able to do with that land. It really is a wonderful setting, and we had great developer owner client that very much. Uh, you know, wanted us, give, give us a lot of free reign to kind of do something really special. And Jerry West is a general manager there, and he was super involved in construction, having been a former golf course superintendent. And so, going back to your earlier question about maintenance, uh, we were really able to dial in a lot of a lot of bent grass there that really contributes to the the overall aesthetic as well as playability of, of this experience. And this kids barn that I mentioned. Um, open this past season and it was amazing to see how it, it elevated the whole experience and this, this whole place became you know, the, the, this super family centric place and and what we found is that while some of this was all designed and contemplated with the idea of being attractive to grandchildren what's happened is that they've had an incredible number of people join the club that, that for their children and, and so the age of this of this club has actually gone down quite significantly through the addition of these these new amenities the other course that has opened since uh, you've got again two more that are in various states of construction, but Little Sandy opened in April. Have it, it's probably too early to tell, but do you expect a, a similar trend there, or is that just a little different because that's more of a resort course? Um, I think it'll be very much similar, uh, as well as I think the thing that'll be a little bit different um, at Little Sandy is that they do a lot of group business in that hotel, that resort. And so it's a it's a wonderful group outing experience because you really it's very much designed to appeal to a non golfer as well and again not intimidating and so I think it'll get a lot of exposure there I mean between the existing members at, at Oak Marsh the Pete Dye Golf Course next door as well as this group business and family stuff and I think somebody quoted me when we had the opening I was just really pleased I went out the night before the opening uh, or the event of the opening and. And we have a big putting, Himalayas putting kind of thing there. And there was a mom, a dad and daughter putting and two toddlers like rolling somersaults on these contours on the green. And sun was setting. It was gorgeous, long shadows. And I just thought, man, this is what it's all about. You know, getting a family out here to, to kind of do something in and around golf. And I just thought it was really cool. So all the reports we've gotten back so far have been, you know, very complimentary. And, uh, and we, we've also designed that going back to this idea of group activation, it's very much designed with the, the ability to sort of set up food and beverage out on the golf course. And, and it's all piped in with music everywhere. And, and, and so it, it really kind of creates this environment. Uh, I think it'll be really special for uh, a whole group of people that are together to, to experience it, to, it together, whether it be a formalized group or just you know a whole series of people. So it's, it's pretty neat. It's all around a lake, the central lake 
so you have long vistas sort of across the lake to, to you know, if you're on the third hole, like you can look across and see somebody on the eighth hole, the ninth hole. And, and I think that's, that's going to create an interesting little dynamic and drama. You're now almost uh, seasoned into Little Sandy. That opened in April, like you said, about two and a half, almost three years in at the saddle. And with two more short course projects soon to open, and we'll get to those in a minute, do you feel like that's maybe shifted or, or changed the trajectory of your design career, that people view you more as, as a master of the short course, or, or is it still, you know, I can do absolutely anything and, and everything in terms of design? I, mean, I hope it's more the latter. I, I, I think that I've got a bit of a, a reputation of sort of being, you know, a forward thinker and sort of solution-oriented person, and, and I think, you know, these short courses, to me, work best when they're complementary to something else. And, 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 and sort of extending the range of what a golf facility and a golf operation can be. And, and so, you know, I think it's it's the mix of the stuff I tried to talk about, about time, uh, as well as this idea of accessibility, but also this sort of casualness and, and this increasing desire for people to want to do things outdoors and do things with other people. And a lot of, a lot of these short courses are, you know, have activation with food and beverage and we're seeing a lot of that extend even to driving ranges and whatnot. So, you know, I think that, that um, I, I think I've certainly been sought after because of our experience in short courses, but I think it's more along the lines of, you know, what, what's golf, you know, 2.0, 3.0, whatever, whatever we're on, like what, what's next in golf? And I think it's been more a part of that conversation than sort of being deemed as sort of a short course specialist, and that's all we do. The two that you have that are soon to open, let's start with the swing, which is at Omni PGA Frisco in Frisco, right outside the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. If there is a more talked about facility in the U.S., certainly a more talked about facility that hasn't opened yet, I don't know what it is. There is so much buzz around Frisco in general. What's it been like to be such an integral part of that the last few years? Yeah, I mean, our involvement at PGA Frisco has been... Easily one of the most, if not the most, rewarding um, involvements that we've had. Um, and, and I just really think the PJ Frisco is going to be so impactful to our game. And what we, we designed the West Course there, Gil Hans did the East Course, we collaborated on the Shore Course, which is the swing. Gil did this two acre putting green called the Dance Floor. We did 30 or 40 acres of, of golf practice. Um, but we also serve as the master planners of the whole thing. And, and so there's traditional championship golf course, two championship golf courses, but all this other stuff with the practice, the dance floor, the swing is all organized very much in a village sort of context and with a lot of activation of food and beverage. A lot of it operates out of, of a building that sits on the driving range tee, one of the driving range tees. The building's called the Ice House, and it's where you'll start the swing, where you start the dance floor. Uh, but this building also has lots of gamification and bays hitting out into the into the the range. So it's just going to be a really, really special thing. I mean, with the Peach of America moving their headquarters there, 540-room Omni Hotel uh, being at the, the center of all of this, that great hospitality that, that these PJ members are going to come bring, you know, their members and friends to. It's just it's, it's just going to be very impactful on the game, I think. You know, I think the championships that the PJ of America is committed to to Fields Ranch East are, are going to really make it known really globally initially, but I think long term, you know, the innovation and the education and the programming that's going to happen at PJ Frisco, uh, all that's going to leak back out through through the through the PJ members out to around the country. And I just think it's going to be really super impactful. 
the swing itself is 10 holes, and they're all very short, and sort of most of them are sort of 50 to 80 yards. Um, it's lit, at, and, and you know, so be able to play at night. It's got uh, you know, some fun activation things out amid it. Um, and one of the really cool things about it is that uh, Gil and his team collaborated with, with us in doing it, and and that was one of the funnest things I've ever done. Um, and, and when I say collaborate, it was a true collaboration. It wasn't this, you know, we, we say this and show up for a photo op. We, Jim Wagner, Gil's partner, you know, said to us, we're going to do this. We're really going to collaborate. And it even got down into the detail of, you know, me and some of my guys directing, you know, Gil and Jim's shaping operation, the pavement construction, and Gil and Jim, you know, directing our shaping teams and Joe Titzer and, and others. And, and so it really, it was really all levels throughout was, was a big collaboration. And it was just really absolutely fantastic. And there were a couple of days we were all there at the same time working. And, and it was just really, really special. And I, I hope when it, it does fully open, um, I got a feeling of that sort of love and care and, uh, that we exhibited there through, through this collaborative effort. I, I hope that all shines through. How did that collaboration even start? Was it just a matter of, I mean, it was very early, I imagine, but you working on the West course, Gil start working on the East course, both saying, we're going to be here anyway. Why don't we work on something else? Or, or what were the origins of the swing? So it was a little bit that I think that we both had a real passion for short courses. So, so Gil obviously had done the cradle mm-hmm. at Pinehurst. You know, we had worked at, um, you know, with Tiger, the, the, the playgrounds at Blue Jack, and then later the Hay at Pebble Beach. And, and I think we both are just very passionate about how cool this is. And so luckily the, you know, the developer there, uh, which is really led by Omni, I said, well, why don't you guys just, you know, as opposed to trying to decide who's going to do it, why don't you guys do it together? And so we both said, yeah, that sounds cool. And, and then that was it. And then we started construction of the East and the West, and then the pandemic hit. And, and so then the, 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 the swing and the short court, or the, the dance floor and all the practice stuff, all that got delayed, whereas the, the 18 holes of golf, you know, went full steam ahead. And so when we finally circled back around to actually doing the swing, we never really had a big discussion about, like, how will this collaboration actually work? And um, and I wasn't sure. There was some talk about, well, why don't you do five holes or we'll do five holes. Um, but then Jim Wagner, again, to his credit, said, well, that doesn't really sound like a collaboration. That just sounds like doing five holes side by side. So that's when we sort of crafted this idea of, like, okay, let's all walk through Let's talk about each hole, and then let's let's make the DNA of this collaboration go down to the level of shaping, and that's where you know, we made the decision that you know, we would direct their shaping operation and they would direct ours, and and then when Weber, we were both there at the same time, or any of our staffs were there at the same time, we try to get together and do these walkthroughs. So there are lots of hands on the swing, you know, doubt from from both organizations, but it's really throughout the throughout the levels of the two companies, and so it was really really cool. And, I told somebody the other day that, um, you know, you hear, you hear back to the golden age and this idea of, of architects collaborating and, the, you know, famous stories about, about Pine Valley and, you know, what happened and how that got executed with multiple people ultimately involved. And, and you know, never, we've never really done that uh, before. I mean, we've worked alongside other people, but um, nothing like this. This was a true collaboration, and I, it's always going to be an extraordinarily special special memory on my part, and I was with Gil just a couple of weeks ago, and we were just saying, well, hopefully we'll get an opportunity to do it again somewhere. 
What are some of the top, I don't want to say lessons, because you've both been in the, the industry a long, long time, but what are some of the top things that you picked up from working with Gil that maybe you hadn't incorporated in your work beforehand, seeing him work, talking with him, going over hole designs, etc.? I think he's just he's very passionate about golf and playing the game and you know I, I love what, the way he talks um, you know he, he was tasked obviously with, with delivering you know a venue to host major championships with the East Course and I love how he talks about how he's very intentional on the finish of wanting someone to you know win the championship um, as opposed to lose the championship and so he's got a you know, a reachable par five or a hazard, you know, as the, as the 18th hole of the East Course. And so I think that kind of insight's, you know, very insightful and um, that, that he's very much trying to do championship golf but at the same time, have an experience that's fun and enjoyable for, for everybody. And obviously we have that passion ourselves. But, you know, I think just learning a different perspective and um, is always very interesting. And, you know, they, they do, you know, a lot of bunkering and probably more bunkering than, than we typically do, but we kind of did more at the West Course um, because we everybody in the stakeholders and us in, as well very much wanted the golf courses to feel like they were related in some way, shape, or form. So those are things that first popped to mind, but I also have just lots of memories of just going out to dinners and hanging out. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that both organizations got along so well is that we both are super passionate about golf. But we all—that's not 100% of our lives either. And so I remember, you know, great discussions around, you know, other subjects, whether it be sports, football, or, or music, or what have you. And and uh, we really feel like that the Hans team and our team really—we all got to be pretty good friends. And it's—it's it's something as, as many wonderful things as there are about PJ Frisco. I think uh, having the, you know, a new friendship with those guys is something that we'll always look back on and be very thankful for. You have one more short course project, and you posted a photo from there uh, not too long ago, just about a month ago, and that's Tuhay, which is way, way out west, Park City, Utah. Just looks beautiful, incredible. Uh, where's that project right now? Yeah, so I was just out there. We are uh, you know, under construction. It's a, a bit of a challenging site in that there's a lot of topography to deal with, but we're working our way through all of that. It's nine holes, um, and... Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's some of the views are just like unbelievable. I mean, just truly spectacular. And so we're really enjoying that. And, you know, we hope to finish that up next year and maybe get it open late next year. And I think it's going to be a wonderful compliment to, to Tuhay, which is a part of a bigger thing called the Talisker Club, uh, but a very family-oriented place. And you know, but at the same time, you know, the original 18 golf course designed by Mark O'Meara, who lives there on the property, and it's been great to have Mark be involved in the short course and and get his thoughts and whatnot. But we're doing a lot of the same things we've already talked about, you know, a lot of uh, ball on the ground, you know, given all levels the opportunity to have this sort of fun experience. The one thing that's going to be a little bit different there is that we normally don't, haven't been doing cart paths on these short courses, but we are going to have that here just because there's some topography that has to be navigated. And I still think most people will walk, but we are going to have a, a little bit of opportunity for, for someone that, that if the walk's a little too much to be able to get around on the cart. But anyway, the, the, the finish is particularly spectacular as you're kind of looking back towards Deer Valley and, and then looking down to, you know, to, to the south and to the bigger bigger mountains. It's, uh, it's going to be pretty spectacular. It would be a place I think it gets photographed quite a bit. What should architecture buffs uh, and golfers alike kind of look for when, when Tuhay is finished? Oh, I think they'll look for, I mean, there'll be some very interesting greens contouring. Um, and, again, 
there'll be a way you can play an aerial game there. But like, if you want to start using your mind and brain, there can be all these sort of kick-in features you know, where you can play the golf ball short and, and kind of redirect it back toward the toward the green, and you know, even ways to sort of skirt around some bunkers by 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 using the bounce of the ball on the ground. So I think that'll be I think that'll be pretty pretty interesting to as people start to sort of decode how to how to play the game and how to play the golf course architecture there. I think that'll be really very, very neat. And again, it's been wonderful having Mark involved. I think he's got a great sensibility for architecture, uh, as well as just this idea of you know, knowing this club so well and being there and you know what his members, their members, you know, would like to see. It's been a great resource to to be able to work with him there. So we're super excited about it. Excited to see hopefully both of those open next year. That'd be a nice twenty twenty three for you. Yeah, absolutely. Be great. Before I let you go, you've done, I think, at least two other podcasts this year, and it seems like this question goes in the same slot in every interview, but there's been a bit of a development in this subject matter for you since even the most recent podcast. You love curling, and this goes back years to the point where you even traveled to Bemidji, Minnesota to track down basically what, what is the mecca for American curling. You had been on the board of the World Curling Federation, but as of September, you are now president of the World Curling Federation and the first American to hold the position in more than 30 years. First off, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. It's uh, uh, something I'm uh, excited about and nervous about all at the same time. It's, it's a community of people really around the world that mean the world to me, and uh, I feel a great sense of responsibility to have been elected to be the, the next president or to be the president. And, uh, and I'm fast working away on many, many issues. You know, to this day, it's very obvious. So, so curling is an ancient Scottish sport, uh, just like golf. And to this day, it's very obvious they both come out of the same sort of Scottish ether, if you will. And uh, I'm a big believer that if the world had more curlers and more golfers, the world would be a better place. And so with the World Curling Federation, we're, we're going to be working really hard to try to try to make that happen. So it's uh it's you know it's not what every boy growing up in south carolina dreams of becoming i assure you of that but i'm excited about it and and looking forward to to helping this great group of people going forward you've pointed out that there are so many similarities between curling and golf there are angles there's camaraderie there's a fair bit of drinking there's a great amount of integrity physics are a huge part of it and you majored uh, in physics in college at brown do you think you could get curling at more country clubs and more golf facilities around the U.S.? Is this is this a long-term goal? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of history with that. In fact, right before you and I got on the phone, I got a, a text message of a photograph from uh, Fred Palmer from, from Club Car, and he was at the country club in Boston curling. So there's a curling facility at the country club, and there are, you know, many, there are several golf courses, golf clubs, country clubs throughout the United States where they still have curling operations as well. You see even more of it in Canada um, where there's sort of the golf and curling club. Um, so I think there could be opportunity for that, you know, but a lot of the growth of curling in the United States is actually happening even in sort of non-traditional, you know, curling or cold weather places. So, you know, I was on the phone earlier today with some folks out in Phoenix and this you know, big Coyote curling club and, and Phoenix is very big and very active and and so curling is growing quite, quite significantly in the United States as well as in sort of other places you know, around the world. And you know, the facility development is a challenge, just like it can be a challenge in golf. And uh, I think one of the things that I'm excited about being a, a guy that creates facilities in the golf space, uh, very much looking at 
our models and curling about how we can develop new facilities and and do that really around the world to help sort of drive drive growth. But uh, you know, my, my developer client friends know that I, I will not be um, I don't hold back about pitching the idea of like, maybe you should think about doing a, a curling curling rink alongside what you're doing in golf. Truly awesome and creative thinking to say the least. I know you went to Brown and, and Brown you can kind of sculpt your own course of study for most of your four years this is a very brown university approach to curling and golf and recreation i think yeah i think so i mean brown is kind of a a wacky weird place in some ways but it's really awesome place and in many ways and there's no doubt that i wouldn't be who i am or where i am if i hadn't had sort of the the training and the exposure and, uh, you know, um, you better figure it out pretty quickly, you know, sort of attitude, uh, driven into me while, while there. So, uh, very, very grateful that I've, I made the decision to go to Brown and, uh, and I'm very grateful that I did, but the decisions, the reasons I made to go there are probably not the reasons I'm necessarily grateful for now. Um, but it no doubt was a place that helped form me as, as who I am as a, as a design professional. Bo, this was a lot of fun. Really appreciate the time, and good luck with everything in 2023 and beyond. Thanks, Pat. I really appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Thanks again to Bo Welling for taking some time to go beyond the page. Thanks to our sponsor, CPRO, which provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass, Legacy, and Musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions whose full lineup of products works hard to ensure your course is consistently looking its best, and who is available anytime online at cpro.com. And thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts here on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Off the Course, Greens with Envy, Tartan Talks, and Beyond the Page drop on Tuesdays. Real Turf Text with Trent Manning drops on the third Wednesday of each month, And Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drops on the first Thursday of each month. Our October issue is online now and includes five great stories about renovation, restoration, and refreshing your course, and so much more. Our November issue will be online soon and is packed with stories about a Slovenian turf pro who moved to the United States to advance her career, maintenance facilities, short courses, and lots more. You can check out every issue of Golf Course Industry all the way back to April 2003 when we had a different name at www.golfcourseindustry.com magazine. And you can read more industry news and notes in our fast and firm email newsletter that's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. You can sign up online at www.golfcourseindustry.com. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell. Our columnists, I think, are the best. Terry Buchan, Henry DeLozier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morgan, and Matthew Wharton. We have a crew of fantastic regular contributors. Tyler Bloom, Trent Bouts, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Cassidy Gladio, Trent Manning, Judd Spicer, John Torsiello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Russ Warner and Jimmy Clark handle sales. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Caitlin Sellers makes sure everything goes where it should. Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Amanda Cafardi handles so much 
On the back end, Irene Sweeney does more than anybody here can keep straight. Ryan Jacobs, Cody Minnick, Tom Bauman, Brock Anderada, and Patrick Brion are our IT team. Our president is Chris Foster. Above all else, we could not do what we do without every one of you. Thank you so much for listening.